بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا نائنتھ آف جنوری ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی فور اینڈ الحمد للہ وی موو آن ٹو دا سکسٹی ایٹ of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Abu Huraira, radiyallahu. So Sayyidina Abu Huraira, radiyallahu, he had one final earnest wish, which he wanted us to pass on. So Abu Huraira, radiyallahu, he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, soon al-masih isa ibn maryam alayhi salatu wasalam will descend as a just judge and a ruler he will kill the pigs break the cross and the call will be won convey to him my salam or convey to him salam from rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasalam when sayyidina abu harir radiyallahu anhu was dying He said, convey my salams to him. Subhanallah. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Ahmad in his Musnad. Al-Haytami in Majma' al-Zawail stated Sahih. However, Kathir ibn Zayd, who is in the chain, Imam Ahmad considers him trustworthy, but Imam Nasai classified him as Daif. So is this hadith authentic? According to Imam Ahmad, it's authentic. According to Imam Nasai, he detected a slight weakness. So, it's more towards the authentic report. So, there's two parts to the report. One from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The second from Abu Huraira radiyallahu. From Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned that Isa alayhi salatu wa sallam will come a second time. He will descend, he will be a judge, he will be a ruler, he will kill the pigs. So this doesn't mean he's going around pigsties killing pigs. Like some fruitcakes make you believe. What it means is people will all become Muslims. So the pigs, nobody will be touching them. So when it says he will kill the pigs, it means that the pigs will be left alone. Why? Because Muslims have nothing to do with pigs. They're nature's hoovers. They clean up, you know, the rubbish. That's what their job is. He will break the cross. This doesn't mean he's going to go around the churches breaking the crosses. It just means Christianity will finish. And the call will be one, meaning you'll be all Muslims. Then the Prophet said, Give to him my salam. Convey my salam to him. So this is a command from the Prophet. So if we live and we see Isa, we have to pass on Rasulullah to him. But well, then the second part of the report, Abu Huraira, when he was dying, he said, convey my salams to him. <laughs> so we've got two responsibilities. <laughs> One is Rasulullah salam is passed on sallallahu alayhi wasalam, to Isa alayhi salatu wasalam, And you also pass on the salam of Abu Huraira. <laughs> Now, why did he mention this when he was dying? Because he didn't live to see him. So he was saying, please pass my salam unto him as well. In another report, Abu Huraira radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger said, 
I hope that I will live long enough to meet Isa ibn Maryam. <coughs> if however death comes to me sooner, then whoever amongst you meets him, let him convey my salam to him. Subhanallah. This is in Imam Ahmad's Musnad. Al-Hayatami in Majma Az-Zawaid stated Sahih. So he was, his desire was to see him. But looking back, you're thinking, he, you know, he's not even alive now. 1,450 years after the Prophet's Hijrah. <laughs> but you could see he wanted to meet him. Then he said, if death comes to me, please convey my salam to him. And in another report, Abu Huraira radiallahu relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi Isa alayhi salatu wasalam will travel through a valley as a pilgrim for hajj or umrah or both. He will then come to my grave and greet me with salam. I shall return his greeting. Abu Huraira added radiallahu O son of my brother, if you see him, say Abu Huraira sends you his salam. This is in Hakim in his Mustadrak. He stated Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim. So the Prophet said that Isa will do Hajj, Umrah, or both, meaning either Hajj by itself or Hajj Tamat or Hajj Kiran. He will go to the grave. Now, why is that important to highlight? Because some fruit cakes, they say that Hajj, you don't need to go to the Prophet. It's not part of the Hajj. And the response is, you're right, it's not part of the Hajj. So why is Jesus Christ going to? <laughs> No part of the Hajj. He's done Hajj and he says, he will come to my grave. So this is something, you know, they're teaching you what to do. He goes, he will give salam. I will return the salam. So the Prophet will return the salam to Isa Then Abu Huraira says, if you see him, say Abu Huraira gives you his salam. So now what's the etiquette? If somebody asks you to give salam to Rasulullah when you go to pay your respects, this is the sunnah. You give the salam, your own salam, and then you give the salam of the one who told you to give salam. The Prophet ﷺ, he would respond like this. He would say, Wa alaykum salam to you and to the one who is given the salam. So that's very important in Abu Dawood. Why? Because when you are giving the salam, you're conveying the salam, you might think, well, I'm losing out. You know, he's passing the salam, I'm just being used. So Rasulullah didn't forget you. Because wa alaykum salam to you and to the one who's given me salam. So why is that important? Because when somebody says give my salam to Rasulullah, you shouldn't just say generally. Don't you want to hear the return of the salam again and again from the Prophet So if you just do this, Ya Rasulullah, wa alaykum salam to you and all those who told me to give you salam, I'll pass it on. So the Prophet will just return once. But if you mention each person by name, Rasulullah will return the salam again and again. And which great sahaba did that? He taught us this. There was a companion called Sa'd ibn Ubadah and he was the chief of the Khazraj, one of the great companions. And the Prophet came to visit him once. He knocked, gave salam and Sa'd ibn Ubadah returned the salam so quietly the Prophet couldn't hear it. So the Prophet knocked again, gave the salam again. Sa'ad said very, very quietly. And then the third time the Prophet left. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah then ran, ran towards the Prophet. He goes, oh, Ya Rasulullah, he goes, I heard you. And he goes, but I wanted to increase your salams. Right? So what was, and this hadith is in Tabarani, what was Sa'ad teaching you? 
You should be eager for more salams from the Prophet So not here, Abu Huraira, he's told it. So if we have the honor to see Isa this is what he will say to you. Imagine. Wa alaikum salam to you, Zubair, and to Sayyidina Abu Huraira. Think about that. Wa alaikum salam to you, Ismail, and to Abu Huraira. And even if you die without seeing him, you've made the intention. So Allah won't deprive you. So notice Abu Huraira, he's dying and he's, he's making sure not to lose out on any virtue. He's thinking, what else? He goes, yes, the salam. He goes, don't forget, give my salam to Isa Shortly after these precious final instructions passed away from the troubles of this mortal world, the beloved of all those with any iman, the most dutiful son of the noble mother, the noble one from the tribe of Dos, the one who freed his own slave upon being with our beloved messenger, member of the elite, Ahlul Sufa, and the one who preferred to live a life of poverty of choice, the observer of countless miracles, the owner of the blessed pouch and those who galloped over the sea in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who could not bear to part with our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa The one who would aid him sallallahu alayhi wa in istinja and wudu. And the one who shared a faithful ride on a mule with him sallallahu alayhi wa The man of prophetic faith, the most prolific narrator, Thus the Amir al-Mu'mineen of Ahadith, a veritable vessel of sacred knowledge, the abundant dhakr, profoundly generous, the noble mujahid, the immensely God-fearing, the one whom the Prophet ﷺ told others to treat with respect, the Mu'azzin and governor of Bahrain and the holy city of Al-Madina, the father-in-law of the most learned of the Tabi'een, Sa'id ibn al-Masayyib, rahmatullahi the imprisoner of shaitan and the righteous sitting companion, our master par excellence, Sayyidina Abdul Rahman ibn Sakhar Abu Huraira. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with him and forgive us all for his honorable sake. Amen. So again, as always, I mentioned a CV at the end and everything I mentioned there is from his life. If you didn't understand anything, you missed those sessions. But this is again just a brief into his incredible life. Hafiz ibn Kathir, he added details. In Al-Bidayah, in the chapter on the prominent people who died in the year 59 AH, Al-Walid ibn Utbah ibn Abu Sufyan offered the prayer at his funeral, which took place at the time of Asr. He passed away in his home, which was located in Al-Aqiq, and was carried to Al-Madina, where he was buried in Jannat al-Baqi. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with him and bestow his mercy upon him. <laughs> Amen. So who was the one who led his funeral prayer? It was Walid ibn Utbah ibn Abu Sufyan, Abu Sufyan's grandson. And it was Asr. He passed away in Al-Aqiq. This is Zul-Hulayfa, i.e. the blessed valley, where Jibreel came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He was carried to Al-Madina, and he was buried in Jannat al-Baqi. We also now humbly request the Almighty and Glorious, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to forgive both the Honorable Abu Huraira 
and his noble mother Sayyida Maymuna. Note, this should be a most regular supplication for all believers. So why do I say that? So going back, God knows how many nights, what dua did Abu Huraira make? Basically to do dua for uh, himself and his mother. Okay. And then you, basically then his dua will, will be for you for forgiveness. Okay. So the hadith is in Ahmad Sahih and the Prophet uh, Abu Huraira he said, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, forgive, my, forgive me and my mother and all those who pray for their forgiveness. So when you make dua, if you say this, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, forgive Abu Huraira radiyallahu forgive his mother Sayyida Maymuna. Abu Huraira's dua for you is, may Allah forgive you. And then the tabi'een, they never forgot this dua. Why? Because it's not your du'a. It's Abu Huraira's du'a. So imagine on the Day of Judgment, none of your du'as were answered because of, you know, all these failings of us. You can turn around and say, Ya Allah, this is not my du'a. It's Abu Huraira's du'a. He prayed for my forgiveness. Do you think Allah is going to reject that? So this is why always make that du'a to Allah in your regular du'as. It is further related in Al-Bidayah 9-942. Walid ibn Utbah informed Sayyidina Muawiyah of his passing away. And Sayyidina Muawiyah wrote in reply in grief and love, take care of his family, be kind to them, give them 10,000 dirhams as a gift from me, be good neighbors to them and be gentle with them. Without a doubt, Abu Huraira was amongst the helpers of Uthman and defended him when he was besieged. Subhanallah. This is in Al-Bidayah 9-942. So as a Muawiyah, he himself was 80 years old. And he got the news. So he's in Damascus. He's devastated. Obviously, senior sahabas passed away. Look at the great love he had for him. He told the governor, look after his family. Be kind. Give them 10,000, not from me. Not from the Bayt al-Mal. As a gift from me. 10,000 dirhams, because be gentle. Then why? He gave you the reason. Without a doubt, Abu Huraira was amongst the helpers of Uthman and defended him when he was besieged. He never forgot. So how many years earlier did Uthman, was Uthman martyred? He was martyred 34 years earlier. But Hazrat Muawiyah, he, he never forgot Abu Huraira, how much he tried to save Uthman. And he wanted to pay him back. The venerable and aged Amir al-Mu'mineen also left the troubles of the mortal world just one short year later. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with him and forgive us all for his honorable sake. Amen. So Muawiyah radiyallahu passed away the next year, in the 60th year. So how old was Abu Huraira? With regards to Sayyidina Abu Huraira's age upon his passing, half his waqidi rahmatullahi said, Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu who passed away in 59 AH at the age of 78. This is recorded in Tafkiratul Hufaz, volume 1, page 32. Sheikh Abdul Jalil Sahib in his Niqadul Durari, volume 6, page 620 of the English translation, which is a commentary of Tarjuridul Bukhari by Hafiz Ubaidi al-Yamani, who died 1488, Christian era. So he was 78 according to one of the scholars. But 
you can actually work out his age from his own words. Which words? Abu Huraira, what did he himself say? Radiyallahu. I came into Rasulullah's company, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, after the Battle of Khaybar. And at that time, I was 30 years old. This is recorded by Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani in his Al-Isaba 7-205, Al-Bidaya 8-108. So now you can work it out from this. So what did he himself say? When did he come to Rasulullah? After the Battle of Khaybar. Khaybar was in 7 AH. How old was he? 7 AH. He himself said, I was 30. Which year AH did he pass away? 59. So all you got to do is add 52. So add 52 to 30. How old is he? 82. Those were the very simple calculation. He must have been 82 years of age upon his passing. So this is why when it comes to ages, you notice there's little differences here and there. But if you got a statement directly from the person himself, you know, why is that to work? You know, there's nothing left to work out. So he was 82. Same age as Muawiyah. It's so, okay, interesting. They both passed away. They were both roughly the same age. And like I mentioned, Hazrat Ali was the same age as Abu Huraira. So if Ali had been alive, he would have been the same age, 82. Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani, he also commented, there is a difference of opinion in the year of his passing away. Some say 57, some say 58, some say 59. 57 AH is the generally accepted year. This is in Al-Isaba, volume 7, page 207, Mariful Ahadith, volume 4, page 566 of the New English Translation. Whatever the case, he was certainly around the age of 80 years old. <laughs> so note, he lived into his old age and he served the deen as all the companions did with the utmost meticulousness. So I conclude by asking my Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness for any shortcomings with regards to describing one of his most beloved servants after his chosen Prophet For after all is said and done, the ink and pages eventually finish, but not so the endless virtues and rank of the magnificent attendee of our beloved Messenger the Amir al-Mu'mineen of the sacred Ahadith, our master par excellence, the majestic, Sayyidina Abu Huraira, radiyallahu. May he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, by his grace and mercy, also allow us to be raised up with such a pure and lofty soul. Amen. So to conclude, our final hadith and some verses of the Quran. Our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa he warned everybody in the following words. Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, selected me, sallallahu alayhi wa he then selected the companions for me, made them my ministers, supporters and in-laws. Thus, he who dares insults them, then upon him be the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The angels, alayhi salatu wasalam, and all people, indeed on the day of resurrection, neither requital nor ransom shall be accepted of him. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Tabarani in his Kabir, number 13,794. Tabarani in his Osat, number 463. Hakim in his Mustadrak, number 6,732, with a Sahih chain of transmission. So what did the Prophet say? Allah Ta'ala chose me. 
one of the names of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is Al-Mustafa. Al-Mustafa means the chosen one. That's his title. It's not his name. It's a title. So why is he called the chosen one? Who chose him? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what does that mean? He was chosen. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said in Imam Ahmad's Muslim Sahih, Allah Ta'ala looked at the hearts. He chose the purest heart and that was the heart of Muhammad. So it's something only Allah Ta'ala knows. He knows all of the creation. He created all of us. He chose the most purest heart. Think about that. Look at the status of the Prophet. You cannot find a more purer heart than his. Then Ibn Masood said, then he chose the next most purest hearts. And this is after the prophets. They were the companions of Rasulullah. So think about that. When somebody says uh, the Sahaba, what's special about them? Some people give you the impression they were just there at the right time by you know coincidence. They were so lucky to be there. And you think, what planet are you on, brother? Because no, I'm not, what, obviously, you know, they were just looking to be in Makkah. You know, they were looking to be in Medina. They said, brother, it, it wasn't by chance. Everybody who was destined to meet him was chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the meaning here. So when you say Sahaba, you have to understand that. So if somebody goes Abu Huraira, he's from the Dose tribe, but as fate would have it, he ended up with the Prophet. No. Allah chose him because he had the purest heart. Now think about that. So if Allah has chosen Rasulullah and God forbid you find fault with him, who are you really finding fault with? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everybody agrees to that. Then you go, right, let's go to the next stage. If Allah has chosen the Sahaba and you find fault with any one of them, who are you really finding fault with? <laughs> Suddenly they, you realize the gravity. People don't realize how grave the crime is. They go, oh, brother, you know, he's five-time namazi. Okay, he's got a problem with Moabia, right? But he's five-time namazi. Then you say, you made it sound like it's a small thing. Let me break it down. <laughs> Allah Ta'ala chose Moabia. He didn't choose you because you got a black heart. That's the first thing. Because you were there as well. You weren't even on the Taibin list. Where are you? Are you the scrap heap of humanity? Anyway, forget that. And you go, and you the scrap heap of humanity, you're finding fault with somebody Allah has chosen. Then he goes, well, since you put it that way, oh, you woke up. Right? That's how grave the crime is. You're finding fault with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then look what the Prophet said. Allah made them my ministers, my supporters, and my in-laws. Son-in-law, brother-in-law, you know, you can look at all these connections. Then look what the Prophet said. He who dares insults them, upon him is the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The angels and all people. If Allah ta'ala is doing lanat, yeah, what does that mean? You know, lanat doesn't mean curse. If you go and ask the alims, the ulama, what is lana? This is what it means. To strip somebody of all divine mercy. Somebody goes, what? So imagine, are we being blessed with the divine mercy? 110%. 
What if Allah Ta'ala takes away all his mercy from you? Mm-hmm. That's lanat. <laughs> so when you say a curse, it's a mild word. Everybody says, oh, he cursed him all day. He's part of Namazi, brother. Mm-hmm. Not going to help him. <laughs> he's completely stripped of the divine mercy. Why? Mm-hmm. Because he's cursed the Sahaba. He's insulted them. Mm-hmm. Then the angels curse him. Then everything else. And on the day of judgment, the Prophet said, nothing will be accepted from him. Nothing. He's going to be naked and he's got nothing. Why did the Prophet say that? Because he's explaining Allah Ta'ala has chosen these people. And when you go through their lives, as you should, you start to understand what that means. But if you don't know who the Sahaba are, you don't get this. You just think, okay, they were chosen. But why are you impressed by that? Chosen, <laughs> he's not been through their lives. Any you pick any sahab, you go through his life slowly and steadily, you realize why they were chosen. This person must have the most purest heart. Allah knows where to put the message. Those to find fault with them is in reality to criticize no other than Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his selection. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbid. So let me put it very bluntly. If somebody says there's another prophet after the prophet. Is that not unbelief? Why is it unbelief? Because Allah Ta'ala has told this is the final messenger. You have gone against Allah Ta'ala's selection. So you fell into unbelief. Were the Sahaba chosen? The person goes, yes. So how can you find fault with them? That's why when we, you know, people find it very strange. You know, they'll say to you, look brothers, why can't we look into their lives and find any errors? You know, what can't we research into it? <laughs> On the face of it, you're thinking he's got a point. You know, why? No, let's go through it, you know, cautiously and that. Allah Ta'ala chose them. What are you going to find? <laughs> you understand? If you find something on them, that's like saying, Ya Allah, oh Ya Allah, you missed something. You missed something. I found something on him. <laughs> then you say, only one has missed something is your Grey matter, right? And that's why, you know, we don't do that. The scholars say, just keep quiet. Allah Ta'ala knows best where to put the message. So now let's turn to the Quran to finish. In Surah Al-Hadith, Surah 57, verse 10, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, Audhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, La yastawi minkum man anfaqa min qabli al-fathi wa qatal Not equal amongst you are those who spent and fought before the victory, I than those who did after. Those are higher in rank than those who spent and fought afterwards. But to all, has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised a beautiful reward? So let's look at this. One verse, Surah 57 verse 10. Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He's talking about the Sahaba. Not talking about anybody else. He's not talking about Tabin. He's not talking about Oliya Ikram. He's not talking about, you know, us. He's only talking about the Sahaba. What did He say about them? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not equal amongst you are those who spent and fought before the victory. I and those who fought and spent after the victory. So Allah has made a distinction. 
the victory, any companion who fought before the victory, spent money before the victory, they are greater than those companions who fought and spent after the victory. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, but to all Allah Ta'ala has promised a beautiful reward. Now why is this very important to highlight? Because people, they'll use logic. Because there's got to be some rotten apples amongst them. Hundred thousand, you know, if you get hundred thousand people, brother, you're going to have some rotten apples. You know, it's got to be rotten apples. And he goes, yeah, you're right. It's a very logical statement. The problem, my dear brother, with that is, it contradicts what Allah Ta'ala says. And he goes, what does Allah Ta'ala say? But to all has Allah Ta'ala promised a beautiful reward. What does that mean? <laughs> Allah Ta'ala acknowledges there's ranks amongst the Sahaba. Abu Bakr is greater than Abu Huraira. Because, you know, the Quran is telling you he spent and fought before the victory. Abu Huraira great after. But Allah Ta'ala then says, but to every single one of them, I have promised a beautiful reward. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? In Abu Dawud al-Madi, Sahih Hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, was asked, who is the saved group, Ya Rasulullah, of the 73 sects? The Prophet ﷺ said, the one that myself and my companions are on. Look at the word, Sahih Hadith, the one that myself and my companions are. Now think about that. If it was enough just to have Rasulullah, why did the Prophet add the Sahaba? You understand? So somebody goes, Quran and Sunnah, Quran and Sunnah. That's not what the Prophet said. The Prophet said, myself and my Sahaba. If you leave the Sahaba out, you haven't got a guarantee of success. You are only safe if you follow the Sunnah, the Rasulullah and the companions. Did the Prophet say this? The safe group is myself and the ten promised paradise. Didn't say that. Did he say the safe group is myself and all the Badris? Didn't say that. Did he say the safe group is myself and all the Muhajirun? He didn't say that. Did he say, the safe group is myself and all the companions before the fall of Makkah? He didn't say that. He encompassed all of his sahaba. The Quran is saying, وَقُلَّنْ وَأَدَ اللَّهُ الْحُسْنَى Rasulullah is saying, the safe group is myself and my companions. Every one of them. So what our belief is, all of the students in the prophetic university passed, none of them failed. Because they had the greatest teacher. How can they fail? <laughs> Unless you accuse Rasulullah of being a lousy teacher. And every single sect under the sun find fault with the Sahab. That's their common denominator. You can name them Khawarij, Rawafid, you know, the rationalist, Mutazila, Ubadiya, Zaydis. You name them all. Right? You name them all. They've got problems, right? What's their problems? They've got a problem with the Sahaba. Whether it's a major problem or a small problem. So what does that tell you about the Sahaba? How high are they in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? If you dare find a fault with them, 
you become a sect. Allah Taala doesn't take prisoners. You just humble yourself. Sahaba did it. Class, class brother. Who might question Sahaba? Ladi Allahu Taala. Allah Taala has chosen them. But people, and this is why you know, if you look at the history of Islam, the Shayateen attacked the companions because they knew if you can weaken your connection to them, the whole Deen will collapse. Right, and if you look, you see this. The enemies of Islam targeted the companions. Astaghfirullah. Let's turn to another verse. In Surah Al-Fatih, Surah 48, verse 29, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Audi bilay min shaitan al-jin, Muhammadur Rasulullah, waladin maahu wa shidda'u ala al-kufar al-hamaa'u bainhum, talahum lukaan sujjatan yabdahu nafdalam." Muhammad is the messenger of Allah and those who are with him are hard against the unbelievers compassionate amongst themselves bowing prostrating on them is the grace of Allah and his mercy so let's look at this Muhammad al-Rasulullah, everybody knows that part of the Quran. That Allah, well, what does Allah Ta'ala then say? What? Look how powerful that what is. Allah Ta'ala didn't say, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Then, you have the Sahaba. He could have said, Thumma. Then, he says, and. Meaning, don't separate them from Rasulullah. Just like the Quran says, worship me and. Show build to your parents. It's joined together. You can't show worship your Lord and disrespect your parents. The Quran is saying, Walladina and then look how Allah describes them. He could have said Sahaba. He didn't say that. He describes them so you understand the certain traits they've got that are amazing. The first trait, they are hard against the unbelievers. They took out the Persian and Roman superpowers. What else do you want to know? They are compassionate amongst themselves. Think about that. When they were dying, give the water to my brother. He goes to his brother, give my, get the water to my brother. The third brother dies. They come back to the second, he's dead. Come back to the first, he's dead. Compassionate amongst themselves. Then it says, bowing and prostrating. They do ruku and they do sujood. These four things, one of the scholars says, would be very interesting. When Allah Ta'ala says hard against the unbe- so those who are with him, that refers to Abu Bakr. Hard against the unbelievers refers to Umar. Compassionate amongst themselves refers to Uthman. Bowing and prostrating refers to Ali. And on them is the grace of Allah, his mercy, refers to all the Sahab. They've even the Jews, Khilafah Rashidin, mentioned in this verse. Allah Ta'ala says, my grace and mercy is upon them. Fadlam min Allahi wa didwana. And what do people say about them? Think about that. Innit? Let's turn to another verse. In Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 100, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوعًا وَأَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتَهَا الْأَنْهَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ 
the earliest of the vanguard, the muhajirun and the ansar, and those who followed them in ihsan. In Quran, you know, if you look at the Quran, Allah showered you, showered the Sahab with blessings. What does Allah say? He starts with the best. The best of the best. The first of the first. Who are the first of the first? The first 40. Khatija, Abu Bakr, Zayd ibn al-Harith, Ali. You know, you name them. Finishing with Umar. The best of the best. Then Allah says, the Muhajirun. Then he says, the Ansar. Then he says, look how interesting. وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ Those who followed them, who followed them, the Tabi'een. That's why the name Tabi'een comes from the Quran. وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ Follow them in what? In leather socks. Follow them in their beard. Follow them in Ihsan. What is Allah telling you about all of the Sahaba? They're all in a state of Ihsan. What did the Prophet say? Worship your Lord as if you see him. If you can't get to that level, at least know he sees you. Ihsan is when, you, when you, you're seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Quran is testifying every one of the Sahaba are in Ihsan. Well, think about it. If somebody goes to you, Shaykh Abdul Qadr al-Jilani, rahmatullahi he was in a state of Ihsan. Then you go, was Muawiyah in a state of Ihsan? And the guy starts thinking about it. He goes, well, you, you know, you, you know, he, he, he go and have your pink cornflakes, mate. <laughs> you know, think about that. Why do people even think? Because they don't know who the Sahaba If you're going to have stumbling, it's going to be with the Oliya. You say 110% Muawiyah's got Ihsan. But Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jalani, yeah, I think he's got it. That's the response you should come out with because we haven't got a guarantee for the people who came after. But for the Sahab, we've got it. Allah Ta'ala says, those who followed them in Ihsan, Allah Ta'ala is well pleased with them. They are well pleased. Meaning, you have to follow the Sahab. For me, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be pleased with you. There's no other way. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, prepared for them, gardens under which rivers flow to live forever. That is the supreme triumph. The ultimate triumph Allah Ta'ala says. That you followed the people of Ihsan. And let's turn to one last verse. In Surah Al-Fajr, Surah 89, verse 27 to 30. Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, Saudi Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeeb. Ya ayyatuhun nafsul mutma'inna irji'i ila rabbiki radiyatan mardiyya. فَدُخُلِي فِي عِبَادِي وَدُخُلِي جَنَّتِي To the righteous soul it will be said, O nafsul mutma'inna, O the soul in complete rest and satisfaction. Now this is important. We don't know what these terms mean. How many different types of nafs are mentioned in the Quran? Three. What are the three? The reproaching self, the uh, the nafs at peace, and uh, the uh, there's another one. Anybody else? What's the worst nafs? The destructive nafs. You just follow it; it takes you to hell, right? That's the destructive one. Then you got the self-reproaching nafs. 
you do evil it tells you off why did you do that that means that you're half off then you got nafsul mutmainna the nafs at peace this is the a person of ihsan so who is allah taala talking to here ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutmainna is he talking to the one going to help or is he talking about the one who's rebuking himself or is he talking about the person of ihsan so who are the people of ihsan going back to the previous verse sahaba so who is he talking to sahaba what does he say about the sahaba come back to your lord well pleased and well pleasing meaning come back in other words you've passed i'm so happy that you've returned to me and you're going to be so happy coming back to me enter you amongst my servants enter my paradise allahu akbar allah taala mentions the sahaba with that much honor he goes come back i am pleased with you you are pleased with my strivings enter you into my paradise now what's interesting my paradise if allah taala links something to himself it means it's extra special he has linked paradise to himself my paradise Baytullah, the house of Allah, is in a special, the Kaaba. Why is it called Baytullah? It doesn't live there. Allah Taala has linked it to Himself. Safa and Marwa are the signs of Allah. Inna Safa wal Marwa min Shaa'il Allah. Allah Taala has called them signs. They're linked to Him. Anything linked is great. Allah Taala has linked paradise to Himself. And who does He give the grand welcoming to? The Sahaba, the Sallallahu Taala. And just to add this. all of these verses would make absolutely no sense if we didn't have their lives recorded and look how amazing whenever you go through a sahaba's life it's like somebody's filmed it you know you're actually going through it thinking it's unbelievable which other people on the face of the earth over 1400 years ago have you got their lives in such detail that's another sign from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we going to abu huraira's life So imagine you go to these bozos. Who was around 1,400 years ago, John? You say, "Oh, King Alfred the John or something." I go, oh, "King Alfred." Oh, no, tell me something about it. Would they say, "Well, let's spend 68 sessions on it, half an hour, 34 hours"? You think, "Oof, I've got that much on him." They'll just come out with a few bits and bobs, and you think, "Where did he get that from?" Well, it's it's reached us, and it? it's reached us. <laughs> it's reached us. Right? What? And there you go. Allah Taala has preserved their lives. Now, the only thing we need to do is to go to the lives that are preserved, go to the best, those who Allah Taala has honored above others. And one of the scholars said to finish, if Rasulullah had no miracles, even though there was thousands, we would still know he's Rasulullah. Because how? Because of his companions. Because no normal mortal on earth could produce such men and women. Like the companions of Rasulullah, because that is something else. There's there's something else about these people, and that's why the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "My ummah is food, my companions are salt. There is no taste to the food without the salt." Rahmatullahi alayh, mashallah, mashallah, may Allah bless them all. But someone missing in there, brother. It's like eating meat without salt. There's someone missing, isn't there, brother? Need a bit of sprinkle. But when you go through Sahaba, what happens? You can taste this straight away. You go, Allahu Akbar. There's the salt. And what else do they know about salt? That's a hadith in Bazar. 
The Prophet said four things have come from the heavens. Salt, fire, water and iron. Salt comes from the heavens. What does that mean? Sahaba are likened to salt. What does that mean? There's something unearthly about the Sahaba. They're from the heavens. And when you go through their lives, you, you, can, you, you taste it. There's something not normal about these people. Something unearthly. And what else have they found out about salt? Salt preserves. The companions have preserved our entire deen. That's why they liken to salt. Preserve the Quran, preserve the Sunnah. And who was the Amirul Mu'minin of Hadith? The greatest preserver. The one whose life we had the honor to go through. You know, into the third month. Are there any questions you like to ask?